Welcome to Up In Your Business with Karen McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. Uh, like Tim said, I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. My guest today is Arkansas Baptist College history professor Edmund Davis. Today we'll be going to school as we learn about Arkansas history, African history, and his passion, the Tuskegee Airmen, on which he has written a book, Pioneering African-American Aviators, featuring the Tuskegee Airmen of Arkansas. And lastly, we'll talk about his latest venture. Davis has been an entrepreneur by co-owning a screen printing business called Unity Graphics and Designs. Now that's something I know about. He will be talking my language then. We hope through our conversation and storytelling you will learn something, want to get involved, or be inspired to take action in your own life. For me, the taking action began over 40 years ago when I founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, Flag and Banner has grown from door-to-door sales to telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales and now relies heavily on the Internet. Each change in sales strategy required a change in company thinking and procedures. My confidence, leadership knowledge, and my company grew. My initial $400 in Investment now produces nearly four million in annual sales. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between me and my guest about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that I hope you'll find interesting. Starting and running a business or organization is like so many things. It takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. No one and I mean no one, has a straight path to success. I worked part-time jobs for nine years before Arkansas Flag and Banner grew enough to support just me. Today, we have 10 departments and 25 coworkers, thus reminding us all, small businesses are the fuel of our country's economic engine and empower people's lives. Before we start, I'm going to introduce you to the people at the table. We have my co-host and co-worker at Flag and Banner, Tim, say hello. Hello, Tim. And running the board and taking your calls is our technician, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. No problem. My guest today is the educator, author, historian, and speaker, Dr. Edmund Davis. Hello. <laughs> Professor of history at Arkansas Baptist College in Little Rock, Arkansas. Besides teaching U.S. history, he also lectures on African history world civilization american government black community education african-american cinema film and hip-hop in 2005 davis became a motivational speaker in 2007 an author writing for the encyclopedia of arkansas history and culture milton crenshaw an arkansas born tuskegee airman and Edmund were fast friends. So it is only appropriate that in 2012, Dr. Edmund Davis published Pioneering African-American Aviators Featuring the Tuskegee Airmen of Arkansas. More recently, Dr. Davis jumped into the world of entrepreneurship by co-owning a screen printing business called Unity Graphics and Designs in Mabelville in Little Rock, Arkansas, and has a great following, you said, on Facebook. Yes, ma'am. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the ambitious, faith-filled college professor, Edmund Davis. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the introduction to all this wonderful staff here. Uh, thank you all, gentlemen, for, for, for doing what you do. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. And uh, Ms. Carey, we've known each other for well over maybe close to 15 years almost. I was just about to say, do you remember when we first met, Doc Barnes & Noble? Barnes & Noble, it sure was. Mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble, I think uh, Matthew had a uh, real short hair back then. Matthew's but, <laughs> the guy doing the, doing the Facebook Live right now. Right. Yes, he did. Right. He was about 15 years younger. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we met 
at Barnes and Noble because Berna Love had just finished writing the Temple of Dreams book about uh, the Taborian Hall and the yes. Dreamland Ballroom, and mm-hmm. we were down at Barnes and Noble doing a book signing, and you came by the table, and another man mm-hmm. came by the table, mm-hmm. Sandman, yes. the Sandman who does the who has a a dredging company on the Arkansas River and sells sand and mm-hmm. has for years and you two gentlemen got to talking do you remember what you had in common I'm trying to think refreshing my memory you were both very successful grown persons but mm-hmm. you both were homeless when you were teenagers right, right and right. y'all got to talking about living in a box as teenagers mm-hmm. yep I, I remember that but uh I had a structure and a system of family who was there with me my mom my dad my sisters you know, we uh, struggled fiscally speaking. Uh, this was back in Philly. I'm from West Philly. I would say the year was maybe 86, 87. I was maybe about 12 years old. Of course, uh, I remember um, the proprietor of the building that we lived in, the landlord, if you will, uh, he had a little peephole and was, you know, looking at my mom. And, of course, my dad, like any dad, would, would go off. And so, But, of course, uh, we didn't pay the uh, rent at the time. And uh, we were kicked out. And so, of course, uh, we left everything there. And after that, going from hotel to hotel to, uh, you know, places to stay to places to stay to uh, different uh, locations to Coatesville, Pennsylvania, where my mom on my mother's side had some family out there. We stayed out there for about a year or so, and things were uh, getting better. So we moved back to Philly in 87, 87, 88. I remember because uh, the movie out at the time was – uh, school days so that was about 1988 <laughs> uh, so we moved back to philly and you know we were on up up at that time and so that was 1986 1987 and we kind of slept in movie theaters and we uh you know scowled for food but my mom and dad stayed with a the job they kept a job even we, we didn't have a place to stay so that inspired me to, to to look at the glass half full rather than half empty and uh to be on hard times but my mom and dad stayed together i saw in the face of adversity uh, how they, you know, still met the needs of their children. And, of course, uh, there were four of us, myself and three of my sisters, uh, from my dad's uh, second, first, second marriage. And so, um, you know, things were tough, but, uh, you know, we weathered the storm, and God provided for us more first and foremost. God provided for us. And so uh, I knew back then my dad always talked about history. He always talked about knowing who you are, American history. And I also think at the time, the quarterback from the Washington Redskins was Doug Williams. He was the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl MVP. He started for the uh, Redskins, and they beat uh, John Elway and the uh, Denver Broncos, which was a big upset. And so uh, my dad would always tell me to you know your history. And so that's how I became a historian. You know, 20 years before I became a professor of history at Arkansas Baptist College, my dad told me in 87 to know your history. And then here we are, 2007, 2008. I got the job at Arkansas Baptist College, and so I want to thank uh, my, my, my mom and my dad, Are biologically they? speaking, for, for raising me the right way, and of course, uh, for the system that was around me. They always surrounded me by positive people, and uh, whether it was people who I work with or whether it was people in the church, you know, they always surrounded me by positive people, and so, uh, but, you know, that, it's, it's just been an experience. And uh, Are they still alive? My dad is uh, transitioned on. To be with, need to be with the Father in Heaven, but my mom, she's still here. She's in Pennsylvania. She's in Philly, where I'm from. To anyone listening, West Philly in the house. Okay, so <laughs> born and raised uh, on the playground. How'd West you end up in Arkansas? <laughs> uh, Graham. Well, no. When I graduated from Gramlin, I went into Louisiana Tech and earned a master's degree, and then I got a phone call from uh, 
Euler to come teach as an adjunct instructor. And so not full-time, but just part-time. And so there, um, before there, I met a guy named John Merritt, Sergeant John Merritt. He was the uh, one of the ranking members of the Little Rock PD back in the uh, 80s and in the 90s. He just recently retired about two years ago. But he said, uh, and he's a brother to me, an older brother. A but you met him group. at Louisiana Tech? I met him at Gramlin. He went to Gramlin back in 78. But oh. he would always visit the campus. So he was alum. Right. Yeah, he was alum. He would always visit Gramlin. And uh, he pledged the same organization that I pledged, Group Five Group, which is a small social fellowship incorporated. And so uh, I said, John lives in Little Rock. This school from Little Rock called me UALR. I'd never heard of UALR. I've heard of the Razorbacks when they won a title in 94. And uh, I've heard about, you know, 40 minutes of hell with the basketball team. <laughs> of course, the uh, football team, but never UALR. So I looked up Euler. I said, I can do this. So I got my master's, and they said that you could teach. You qualify to teach with a master's degree. And so I did that for a year, and then the contract ran out. So Pulaski Tech opened up that window because someone told me about a school, a smaller school, right across the river in at, uh, North, in North Little, Rock. Little Rock. And so I went over there and met James Becker, and uh, I think the Holy Spirit told me, don't just send your resume and go ahead and walk it over there. And I got the job like that because the guy says, since you had the, the gall to, you know, ask for a job in my face with this application, you know, I can't promise you anything, but, you know, I just might hire you. And so I had the job the uh, next week. And so I was four years professor over there at uh, Pulaski Tech. And then uh, Arkansas Baptist uh, came. Uh, president Omar Fitzgerald Hill, mm-hmm. he was president in 06 when I was at Pulaski Tech. And so I had an opportunity to uh, teach at Baptist College the last 10 years. Now it'll be 10 years next year. And so uh, it's been a great transition, a great ride. And so uh, we have maybe some new phases coming down the pike. Yeah, uh, we have business with uh, my wife and myself here with Unity Graphics and Designs. And we're going to talk about that. Yes, ma'am. And so, But that whole time, uh, we have to not neglect the fact that there was one special man in my life, Dr. Milton P. Crenshaw, mm-hmm. the Tuskegee Airman. And I met him when I was teaching at Pulaski Tech. And I had a friend come visit me from Philly who was, uh, today's his birthday, incidentally, Ian Grant. He's back in Philly. Uh, but to say that, me and him stopped at Philander Smith College. And I heard about this event going on at Philander, lo and behold, I didn't know I was going to meet Dr. Milton P. Crenshaw that day. That day changed my life. Yeah. And so, of course, went on campus and uh, ate some of the hors d'oeuvres they had around, met the president, but I saw this man. He had to be about 87 back then. His posture was just upright. When I saw him, I had to go ahead and make sure my posture was right. And he was tall. Yes. He was a tall man Mm -hmm. with great posture. Great posture, and he had this clean suit on. He had this debonair-esque feeling like he was from uh, a higher pedigree. So I said, who's this guy? You know, I didn't come here to look at men, but who's this guy? You know, I came here to, <laughs> to, to, to look and see what's going on. But, again, I was attracted to this man from his presence. I'm thinking, who is this guy with this suit on? And he's got to be close to 90. Who is this guy? Everybody's around him. So by the time the dust smoking cleared, I had a chance to meet him. I shook his hand, and uh, they had already said who he was, Milton Crenshaw. And he introduced me to himself, and I shook his hand, and he had a firm handshake, and so I was very, uh, you know, very uh, pleased with that, but even more pleased because I said, hey, how much would you charge Pulaski Tech to come speak to my history class? And I was teaching five courses at the time. This is about 2005. I think the date was February 27, 2005. And so uh, he says, I don't need money. I'll do it for free. I'm not led by money. When do you want me to come over there? Love and that so, man. Right. I was paused at that. I said, wow, because most people have an honorarium of fee they charge. And you can make good money that way. 
He says, I don't chase money. I don't need money. I'll do it for free. And so I told my department chair and all the other leaders at the campus, it was just supposed to be for Ed Davis's course for my class, but it turned out to be a whole campus thing, an institutional event. And so, again, I'm thankful that he came. And uh, he was driving at that time, you know, at 86 or 87. This is 2005, so he would be about 86 or 87 at that time. And so uh, he came. He came, and that changed the game for for my life. And for a lot of people's Mm -hmm. lives. He's changed a lot of people's lives. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have a history lesson from Professor Edmund Davis. We'll find out what his favorite subject is to teach, delve into the life of his friend, the late Milton Crenshaw, which you just got a taste of it, how he met him, the Tuskegee Airmen. And last, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and his new business, Unity Graphics and Design. You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you miss any part of this show, a podcast will be made available next week at flagandbanner.com's website. If you prefer to listen on iTunes, YouTube, or SoundCloud, you'll find those links there as well. Lots of listening options. We'll be right back. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Edmund Davis, history professor at Arkansas Baptist College in Little Rock, Arkansas. We heard right before the break how much you love the Tuskegee Airmen story and how you met the wonderful Mr. Milton Crenshaw. And I think we left off when you met him at Philander Smith Mm -hmm. haphazardly and were so impressed by him. He does have a star quality about him. Yes. I mean... Think about what he did in World War II. He flew. Well, you tell us well, what he did. Right. You know, he was. And this su- is not just him. This is all the Tuskegee Airmen. Right, right. You know, he's he's been, if you will, the, the poster child or poster man <laughs> uh, here in Arkansas. But Arkansas had 15 to 16 pilots that went on to serve this nation uh, by the uh, Army Air Corps between 1940 and 1945. And you're talking about black men. African-American males, yes, ma'am. And so uh, Crenshaw, Mr. Crenshaw, Dr. Crenshaw, was the first to graduate from the CPTP. The CPTP is an acronym for Civilian Pilot Training Program. And uh, a lot of people don't know that, by me being a a trained historian, 
before the world knew who Dr. King was and Rosa Parks was, these men and women uh, fought on both sides, both sides, but I mean uh, ethnicism or some people call it racism here, Mm -hmm. uh, but also um, women had to fight sexism and racism, you know, back in in the 1930s and 1940s. And Crenshaw, Dr. Crenshaw, God rest his soul, he, he told me all about this, but what was more fascinating to me was the manner in which he told this to me. You would think a man almost 100 years old uh, who has a sharp mind would be sort of bitter about how people of minority color were treated, African-Americans in particular, but he wasn't. You know, he was like, yeah, it was rough for us back then, you know, but uh, he always took the attention off him and pointed it back to God. And that's where I learned that from, too. You know, he would always uh, not take credit for too many things. He would say, no, mm-mm, God has been with me. That's it. And so I really, really, really uh, take that away from what from what God did with Mr. Crenshaw because it's rubbed off on me now. But, um, yeah, he uh, definitely served in that capacity as a flight instructor. Okay, he was a civilian pilot flight instructor. He trained those red tails, that movie, those men, those women. A lot of people don't realize that some of those women showed some of those men how to fly. And so, you mean there were women Tuskegee Airmen? There were women Tuskegee Airmen. I did not Airmen. realize yes, that. They did not serve in aerial avenues or see any action per se. Oh, okay. They didn't fly the planes. They didn't fly the planes. They were well, on the they ground. flew the planes, but they showed them in training how to fly. Uh, there was that. one lady. Uh, there was uh, Dorothy. Forgot Dorothy's last name. Watch when the show's over. It's going to come back. But uh, but you had a uh, a lot of women, in particular, Herbert Carter, his wife. She showed him how to fly, and he was a red tail, bona fide, certified. I had a chance to meet him about ten years ago. And what does red tail mean? Red tail means it's just pretty much the red part of that uh, aircraft. It is a distinctive feature. So when people see you in aerial action or just kind of traveling about, uh, aeronautically speaking. You have that red tail. At the, it means at the, you're a Tuskegee. Exactly. For the most part, uh, I would say nearly 100% of the time, if you have a red part at the back of your uh, 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 aircraft, you were considered a, a red. You were Tus- a red tail. Was Tuskegee only African Americans, or was no. it a mix of both? Uh, of all majority of all African American males, but you had Hispanic Americans there. You had Native Americans there. You even had Caucasian, European American males there oh. that were Tuskegee Airmen. A lot of people don't know about that. Uh, but of course, overwhelming majority African American males. Uh, but the f- folks who who trained them, uh, it was a, an ensemble of different ethnic backgrounds. Why weren't backgrounds. they just part of all of the airmen? Why did they have to be separated out? Right, and that's you know, it goes back to skin color. Okay. Uh, people, you know, fear fear that, and of course, uh, that they, they just would, want to mix the races. So they were like, well, we'll make a bunch of ace flyers over here and a bunch of ace flyers mm-hmm. over here, and we'll separate them. Their jobs were the same. Well, their jobs were the same, and. and Going back to the, the assertion about women, uh, you were considered a Tuskegee Airman if you worked in any capacity, in any avenue, any genre at Tuskegee Institute between that time frame, 1940 and 1945. So women, a lot of them were nurses. They had nothing to do with aviation, exploits. They were in a medical profession. They're still Tuskegee Air women. Even because they were there, they were held to the same standards as the men were, dress code, had to go in by a certain time. Uh, people who were sanitation workers, Tuskegee Airmen still. Oh. They don't get the credit, though. Yeah. Only people that we know about the ones who flew. And the school is still in existence. Yes, ma'am. The school, Tuskegee, is now a university. In 1982, it changed from Tuskegee Institute to Tuskegee University. And somebody uh, on Facebook reached out to me in the inbox about, uh, did I know about the syphilis experiment? I said, yes. Uh, there was what? A, uh, there, of course, between in 1932 for 40 years, from 1932 to 1972, 
men at Tuskegee were given syphilis as a medical experiment. What? And uh, yeah, this has been all over the world many times over. I heard about it before I was an adult. Uh, but of course, it's a true story. It's a true story. Bill Clinton in 1998 uh, made an apology to uh, the living survivors who were in their 90s back then. And so, of course, uh, no, they were in their 70s or 80s back then. But um, how did that, that kind of stuff get approved? I don't understand. And, and that's the thing under the radar. And, you know, there's there's plenty of different stories, not just with, uh, um, you know, African-Americans, but, you know, Hispanic-Americans and, you know, just different groups of people. And I think uh, uh, even poor white people have had. Exactly. Exactly. So we, we have to. And, and that goes back to, you know, slavery. You know, I was telling my students because we had finals a couple of days ago. They were reading about, you know, the indifference between an indentured servant and, and a slave on how some of the Irish and some of the Scottish peasants, you know, in the 1600s, mm-hmm. you know, worked. You know, uh, they were indentured servants and some even served, you know, as slaves. Of course, not, not nearly the number of the uh, African slaves, but you did have some uh, who were slaves and also Native Americans who, of course, people don't know about. They pretty much they were decimated due to disease factor, died off. And so. Uh, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, we're getting yeah. way off the subject. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting back to. Uh, I'm sorry, that simple no, no. story got me. And I'm a historian. I, I like to talk could, about these things. You could go in any you know. direction. So the Tuskegee yes. Airmen, you can still go and train there and go to school there. It's an open school, of course. And did they fly different flights than we did? I mean, did, didn't the other airline pilots, ace pilots, not airline, but ace pilots from World War II, did they have different missions? Did they fly different? The Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, and one accuracy in the movie Red Tails that came out in 2012, the same year the book came out, my first book came out, it talked about how those African-American pilots who were overseas already stationed, already certified trained pilots, were tired of just sitting around. They didn't get any jobs, per se. They were oh. over there, but, of course, the Caucasian pilots or the people who were in power, some of the uh, persons that be in the uh, Army Air Corps, because, remember, the Air Force didn't start until 1947. This was going on in 1941, 1942, 1943, I didn't 1944. That. I did not realize that. We didn't have an Air Force until 1947. I don't think I knew that. So the Army had an Air Corp, and so that the Army had an Air Force. And so now it's two different uh, branches of our industrial complex in the military. But getting back to the point, uh, they did not, because of segregation, they did not allow. And some of the uh, pilots, European Americans and Caucasian pilots, did not want to be associated with the Tuskegee Airmen, of course. What changed the game was uh, their track record and, of course, uh, some of the people who advocated for, hey, these guys are good. And, of course, they saw them in action. Yeah. And, and that changed the game. It's sure. A, yeah, so. Yeah, you mm-hmm. earn, You had to earn it, though. I mean, isn't that yes. the way it is with everything, though? you got to kind of earn your stripes. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, you got to kind of prove yourself. I saw on a documentary one time about the Tuskegee Airmen that Eleanor Roosevelt went there to visit them. Yes. And all she, of and her people, her handlers said, don't go down there. Right. And she got in a cockpit. That is true, and and she was a go-getter back in 1940. She was a rule-breaker back yes, then. She, she was, was a visionary. She was a visionary a, 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 as well. And if it was, if it had not been for people like her, who knows where the Tuskegee Airmen would be? A lot of people, and you have to give credit where credit is due, she didn't have that spirit of fear. You know, fear is the genesis for a lot of people yeah. that don't get jobs, that are hurt, and we just have this stigma. We go by what somebody said, and sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's not. But she said... Go ahead and call my president. Of course, Franklin said that that's my wife. Let her do what she wants to do. And, uh, He's a good husband. Dr. Crenshaw, he was the one that actually strapped her into the seatbelt that was flown by Charles Alfred Anderson, who, of course, uh, he was called Chief Anderson. Everybody knows he has a household name in aviation all over the world. Um, he was from Philly. 
Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So okay. Milton strapped her in the, that may have been where I was yep. watching. It was a documentary mm-hmm. on AET and maybe about Milton Crenshaw, mm-hmm. and that may have been where I read that about him or yes, ma'am. heard that about him. So what made you decide to write the book? I said I've been traveling around the country, especially in the south, the deep south, with, you know, some man, Mr. Crenshaw, who at the time, you know, in his late 80s, early 90s, I was taking notes. I was a speech writer, a lot of people don't know, for a number of speeches. And he would proof it and, you know, really, really became a sensitive issue to me because after being a speech writer for so long, and he'll get up on that stage, up on that podium in front of hundreds of people. Sometimes it's a small class of fifth graders. Sometimes it's a couple of hundred people who are my age in their 40s or older. And so he would not stick with the script. I'm thinking, man, it took me a whole week to write that. And he would just start saying what he wanted to say. And so I kind of minimized my time by writing his speeches. But um, not just that, but just picking him up and just intimately speaking, going to his house on Ringo Street, then going to see, and God rest her soul, Mrs. Marion Torrance, his lady friend who lived on uh, on Abigail, just spending a lot of time with, with these classy people. You know, I said, hey, you know, God's telling me, you got to do something. You got to go archive this. You're a historian. Archive this. You have to tell future generations about your experience. Some may not believe you. So, of course, that's where I became, you know, taking pictures and things like that. And so, you know, I got this idea today, one day, to say, go ahead and, and ask him for a book. You know, how does he feel about writing a book about it? And so, of course, it was supposed to be a biography just on Crenshaw. Of course, that's not the case with this textbook. The book is an ensemble of different biographies of the people who uh, served during World War II that are from Arkansas, and of course the women who in some cases preceded them and in some cases flew at different times from them. And so uh, that's where it came from, and he gave me his blessings. Everybody that I've talked to, whether it was in D.C., Philly, I've interviewed pilots from World War II in California, San Antonio, Texas, Alabama, uh, Montgomery Air Force Base, Everywhere you go, with grant money, that is, the Arkansas uh, History Commission or the Arkansas Black History Commission, uh, I received grant money funds to collect all this data and to comprise it into uh, a book. And, of course, I told them in 2007, uh, you know, Lord is my witness, I'm going to go ahead and get this project done. And it took a couple of years longer than I anticipated with the crash and everything. And so that sidetracked us a little bit. uh, Let's talk about that crash. Yes, ma'am. That's how the book came about. How long? What, when did you ever? You had a motorcycle wreck. It wasn't your fault. You were on a motorcycle, and you're lucky to be alive. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Tell us about it. I tr- was out with. Uh, I started. I was a co-founder of a motorcycle club here called the Miss Slayers, and uh, we were a bunch of guys, teachers and police officers, and you know, blue collar workers. We all had motorcycles. We said, "Hey, let's start a club. Let's give it a definition. Let's give it a meaning." And the name Miss Slayers uh, was a name that was given. Uh, to me from a history class I had back in the 90s at Grambling State University. My professor, her name was Shirley Ayate. Mrs. Ayate, Professor Ayate, told me 20-something years ago, she said, become a mislayer. She used to always say, become a mislayer. Don't follow all these myths they say about you, mm-hmm. whether it's crime or, you know, smoking. She said, You mean like a black man, don't trust a black man, yeah, walk said, on the other side of the street with a black man, be a right, myth slayer. Right, she slay said, the myths. Mm, she said, slay the myths. And so we had this meeting in 2008, nine years ago, and uh, all the guys, motorcycles, so they agreed to name ourselves the myth slayers to have a meaning to it. You know, when you see a young African-American guy, don't just assume uh, we have a record or, you know, <laughs> we're a deadbeat, you know, or we're not working. 
And so, of course, we're mist slayers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're riding around one day. The day was April 18, 2010. And so I believe I was riding with uh, Officer Paul Evans, who is with the Little Rock Police Force right now, and uh, a couple of other guys. I think uh, maybe Jeff was with us, and Monica, my wife, she was on the back with me. And I gave her my helmet, and uh, I think I had a half helmet on. Yeah, I think I had the half helmet on. She had the full helmet on. And so we just took some normal circles up by the park area, went downtown, rode downtown for a little bit. But the genesis for our meeting was at the Denny's on University. And so uh, I dropped her off and took off her helmet and put it in her car. And I just said, I'll meet you at the house or something along those lines. And so I got back on University and uh, I got to the intersection at 65th. And by that point, um, I don't know what happened. That's be, to be 41 plus years old. Uh, there's only one time in my life where I can't remember as an adult uh, something, and that was back in 2010 uh, when I was hit by a small Echo Line van uh, on University in 65th. And my wife, she was behind me. Oh. And, uh, you know, she didn't actually see the, the uh, collision, but she saw my body laying, you know, they say 90 feet away from the bike. And I don't know how all that happened. But, of course, the police record stated that I ran a red light, which I don't think I ran a red light. But he didn't write me a ticket because he assumed I was going to die. That was what the police report <laughs> no. said. Right. And so, uh, oh. again, getting back to I can't recall exactly what happened. I've been taking that same street for years. I don't run red lights, especially on a motorcycle. I have a cruiser. It's not a crotch rocket. It's a cruiser yeah. with an extended V. So, of course, I got my feet laying back. I had my helmet on. Uh, I just don't remember how. So you get in the hospital. Next time, what do you remember? What's the first thing you remember? The first thing I remember is seeing Dr. Crenshaw in a chair in the hospital. No way. Yeah, I'm thinking, okay, he's sitting there. He would always have his legs uh, crossed, debonair-esque, just sitting in the hospital. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what am I doing in here? Why are you over there? And, you know, he had paid for someone to cut my hair. And uh, this guy was cutting my hair. I remember seeing my wife. She was there. And I couldn't remember too many details about uh, my mother, my biological mother from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She was there. My sisters uh, moved into my house here in Arkansas. Of course, there was a power of attorney because I was really, really not they doing They thought you were well. going to die. I was going to die. I got the email mm-hmm. that said, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> really? I'm like, wow, you know, um, hmm, I don't remember too much as I'm talking here with... Uh, some fake teeth in my mouth and a titanium plates in my face still. <laughs> uh, my jaw's still kind of tense, even though we're having this conversation about. Nobody uh, would ever, ever know. What, you don't have one scar on your face. Yeah, It's well, amazing. I think they're all under the beard. But, uh-huh. uh, no. but and, and I can only give credit, you know, again, going back to God, because uh, after that, you know, things had took a turn for the best. And I began to uh, be in the hospital. I went to rehab at Arkansas. Um, at Baptist Health, and uh, I heard this voice telling me to get mad, to be really, really depressed, and to be upset. And I've never had a spirit of depression, uh, but uh, something was in my head. And uh, of course, when you hear a crazy voice like that, it ain't God. So I'm like, okay. Um, what was it? I believe it was the enemy telling me to get what? mad at God. Oh, to get mad at God. Yeah, get oh, mad not at God. okay. Yeah. Anytime somebody tells you to get mad at God, I'm thinking, okay, hmm. mm-hmm. I'm trained better than that. And, of course, I have a great pastor, Dr. Stephen W. Christian. And he uh, said that, hey, when you hear things like that, you know, it's, it's definitely out of order. But here's what God did to me, uh, Carrie. He said when I was in rehab, 
people were showing me how to walk again. They were pushing me down this hall. He said, look to your left, look to your right. I saw men my age, some older, they didn't have their legs. I still have my legs. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, hmm. I'm doing bad, but they're doing worse than me. So, of course, I have no real reason to be upset. There's a little setback, a little speed bump in life. But uh, I'm just so thankful and so grateful from what I saw in that hospital and what were happening to people. Um, and, of course, Gary Coleman died when I was in the hospital. Lena Horne passed away. Oh. Teddy Pendergrass died. I'm watching the news the whole time I'm in the <laughs> hospital, the whole summer. I'm thinking about how these people died. Y'all remember Gary Coleman? Yeah. Oh, Different absolutely. Different strokes. Yeah. He was about that tall. He fell maybe 40 inches out of a chair and, and, died. and broke his neck. I'm thinking I was hit off a motorcycle and I'm still alive and I flew 90 feet with a helmet on. I'm supposed and, to be here. Right. So I'm like, wow, okay. Did you have any revelations while you were in there? Did you ever think this is what I'm supposed to be here for? That there was a, It was a battle, uh, a, a, a spiritual battle and a, a mental battle ensued several times. Uh, the first I gave earlier about, you know, um, me not being so positive and then I was heavily medicated and so I remember being in Philadelphia my mom had said some things to me my biological mom <laughs> she said uh, something but I snapped on my mom because and I blamed it on the drugs you know mm-hmm. uh, but um, I wanted to be able to take the prescription mm-hmm. and uh, oh sure yeah I'm thinking, so how long were you in the hospital about a month maybe six weeks how long did was it before you go back to work I went back maybe two or three weeks after I got to the hospital. That is unbelievable. I, Weren't you I, in a coma for weeks? I was in a coma, uh, and um, it was medically induced. Well, and I wish everybody could see you now because you are workout. You are tough looking. They're in an ounce of fat. I wouldn't want to meet you in an alley. Well, I'm, I'm going to get back into that. You know, I, I get back to, into I it. I used to. I haven't really. Let me cover it up. <laughs> no, it looks but, um, great. But yeah, it was just. And again, I, I can't take credit for it. I'm thinking, okay, I was in a coma. And then all of a sudden, I'm driving a 2010 Lincoln Town car from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, from UPenn Hospital all the way back down to Little Rock. It took me 21 hours, but I was in a coma a month before that. So again, I can't take any credit for it. Now, for those who are not believers, that, that sold me out right there. I'm thinking, okay, I was going to die. Here's the death papers, um, the will. Here's all the, I'm going to die. Okay. But, but now I'm taking this car, and I'm on Interstate 40 going through Nashville. I got to Nashville, got retired, then I stopped in Memphis. I figured I'm two hours away from Little Rock. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to make a long story short, um, you know, God was with me. I can only give him all the credit for, for doing that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. When it's we come great. back, we're going to learn more about history, more specifically Arkansas history, from Professor Edmund Davis. And last, we're going to talk, really, we just may jump right into talking about how an academia came to be an entrepreneur in the business of unity graphics and design you're listening to up in your business with carrie mccoy if you miss any part of the show a podcast will be made available next week at flagandbanner.com's website if you prefer to listen on itunes youtube or soundcloud you'll find those links there as well lots of listening options we'll be right back with a number to call in
You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with educator, author, historian, survivor, Edmund Davis, history professor at Arkansas Baptist College in Little Rock, Arkansas. Tell us again, you became a teacher because your dad talked about being a historian, but that doesn't really mean you have to be a teacher. Why did you pick teaching? Well, when I was at Gremlin State University, National Champs in Football and Great Nursing Program, you know, it grew on me because when I was a freshman uh, coming from the East Coast to the South, I was a double major with biology and chemistry, and uh, me and biology were okay, (laughs) but me and uh, chemistry didn't have a good relationship at all. (laughs) But I was academic All-American my first year, and so I ran track and did all those things, but I was the president of the history club uh, for an extended time. It was two years, and we won a national quiz bowl, me and the team, and so, but to say all that, my dad said 10 years before I went to Grambling, know your history, but then when I got to Grambling, it pretty much confirmed what I was supposed to do, which was 20 years now, uh, well, 17 years in a classroom. It just confirms uh, what I love and what my passion has always been, and that's American history. It's world history. You know, it's women's history. It's African-American history. It's radio history. It's food history. Yum, yum. You know, it's just been those types of things because uh, my dad was a master chef, and, uh, you know, I'm not a chef at all. I can cook a little bit, but you'd have to talk to Monica about that. So why did you decide that. to be a teacher of history? Right, uh, because um, it was it's it was from that switch from biology and chemistry to history. You know, I said, you know what, I can do this. People would always on campus ask me to talk about different things, especially things that were civil rights related or human rights elevated or things that were relevant to the news stories. I had always been a big proponent of watching. Uh, not social media, this is before social media was out, but watching the news, again, going back to my dad, yeah. he would always talk about, uh, know your history. And so he planted those seeds in the 80s, but in the 90s in college, you know, it resonated. And of course, 2000, 2001, I became a graduate assistant at Louisiana Tech University, uh, go Bulldogs. And so <laughs> it's stuck with me ever since. And of course, I got the call from uh, UALR mm-hmm. to come up. And that's been 15 years. I've been here the, the whole you time. You must like it in Arkansas. Right. I tried to run, you know, but... Uh, Can't get away once you right, get here. Exactly. I'm telling you, it sucks you in. Exactly. So when people take your course, what is it you mm-hmm. want them to walk away with? With the uh, knowledge of... And I'm really a content-driven uh, kind of guy. Content, I mean, who, what, when, where, why, and how. I always tell people to take good notes. Now, when it comes to U.S. history, you know, a lot of people, in particular, being an African-American man teaching at an HBCU... You know, a lot of people assume that you start with, you know, slavery. Like, no, history doesn't start with slavery. You know, uh, slavery has been around since the, you know, biblical days. You know, it didn't become a racial thing until it got to the United States, until it got to the Caribbean. That's when it changed up. You know, when you look at Russell Crowe and his name in the movie Gladiator, he was Maximus Meridius Decimus. He was an army general who commanded legions. He was a slave, too. If you check out the movie, you've seen the movie. Oh, yeah, great uh, movie. A great movie, exactly. That came out in 2000, Oscar-nominated, Oscar winner. But um, when you look at the difference between those slaves and the difference between slaves in the United States, you know, it was based off the color of your skin, not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, uh, what your, uh, you know, power was. And so when we have, in this case, early history class, we talk about things like that. We want students to always ask questions. You know, if I'm in a classroom and I've been so for 15 years, but if I'm in a classroom and students have no questions, that's a challenge to me. And it says something that, you know, they're not engaged. They're not engaged. You have to engage them. And uh, I have to make it 
uh, attractive. I don't want to use the S word, but I want to make it attractive to them. Uh-huh. And so we do that with uh, our course guidelines at ABC. We've given academic freedom to where I can actually make some adjustments to my course guidelines to oh, say. that's nice. Right. And to so, fit, the, fit the students, right. what, what they would be interested every in. Every classroom has a different DNA. Yeah. And, of course, and I tell other, you know, business leaders, uh, small like myself, about you know, your market and how you're supposed to market things. And my wife, she helps me out. Monica, she tells me a lot about different things because she actually went to school for that. I didn't. I'm grassroots. I'm just learning from what I see and trial and error. But um, That's good. She's a trained teacher, and I'm not a trained teacher, but she's actually a trained educator. You recently were the facilitator and a program coordinator for mm-hmm. a pilot program at Covenant Keepers Charter mm-hmm. School called Respondability. I right. love that. Targeting 6th and 8th grade students to help them understand how to respond to law enforcement in mm-hmm. the 21st century. Yes. I think that's very important. It's uh, something that should be required in every school, not just public or parochial or private, but I think every school, not just for minorities of color, but for everybody, because what they don't tell you is that even Caucasians are stopped shot beat down they don't talk about it on the news and so that's the media trying to play our emotions especially uh when you look at the larger scheme of things but to get back on the subject respondability the root word for that is responsibility and uh you know it was given to me in 2014 i was laying in the bed one day and this term respondability came I out like of nowhere it. i'm like respondability god what are you talking respond ability iphone there was a popular movie called irobot about 12 years ago then it was i frankenstein there's always this these i movies every five or so years there's an i something and so of course i thought about that we have uh you know iphones and we this is the smart device generation these uh, not generation learners for millennials but these generation z learners you know so i said okay let's make it attractive let's make it relevant to them respond i respond i have the ability to respond responsibly to law enforcement and authorities and so looking at all what's going on in the last five years with social media, there's no privacy anymore. No. Anything you do, somebody's recording when you think they're not recording it, whether you're a cop or a civilian or a citizen. And so uh, we try to we create different uh, phases of this program called Respondability. And I want to give a shout out to Dr. Valerie Tatum, who's uh, running for city director. She uh, is the president, the principal and the uh, executive director of Covenant Keepers. She invited me to come over and uh, she has youth over there, sixth grade through eighth grade. And uh, it was a program pilot, like you had mentioned earlier. And uh, they were very receptive to it. Everywhere I go, I invite officers, federal, state, campus security, um, apartment security, mall security, different levels of life, as long as they're law enforcement, to come in and to be a part of the program. How do you get, how do you get, do you do it, do you go to the school? How do you find these people to to present this to do you go to the schools and say i'd like to come and make a presentation to your sixth and eighth graders right uh the first time it happened it was at the collegiate level with with abc and uh the students were real receptive to it and these are 19 20 year old adults and so the next one was a junior high school in camden arkansas and they were receptive to it but it shed some light on some issues that uh, is even a more disturbing problem I said, Carrie, to the audience, I had 600 students at Arkansas Tech. Wow. I said, raise your hand. Only raise your hand if you think you have the right to resist arrest when the officer does something bad. And, uh, you know, he says you're under arrest. And you know you didn't do anything. But the officer says you're under arrest. Do you think you have the right to resist arrest? In any capacity, raise your hand. Out of 600 people, guess how many raised their hand? All of them. 
200. That's a problem if five of them raise their hand, any of them. Because that's why you get into these police confrontations Mm -hmm. that end up with terrible outcomes. And so I was at a loss as a public speaker, you know, and people request me to speak here and there. And I'm like, okay. But I was at a loss for words. I looked to my right, looked at my board. My wife was there. Kendall Ashley, he's a professor. He's like a big brother. He was there. I looked at State Trooper, Trooper Cooper. He was there. I looked at uh, um, the Wichita Parish Police uh, deputy was there. And my jaw dropped because yeah. out of 600 people. It's a third. third of the people think they, that they can, think they can resist, resist arrest if the cop is wrong. I said, no, uh, we have a problem, you know. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> you know, no one wants to talk about this on CNN. I know, no one wants to talk about talk this, about. Uh, you know, because, again. Solutions aren't part of news. Ooh, Solutions see, wow. are never part of news. They're more mm. about sensationalism. Right. So that, but, but that, again, with uh, Covenant Keepers and uh, Dr. Tatum with responsibility there. You uh, have a theme through throughout today's show about responsibility, about how much you love Milton Crenshaw and how he took responsibility for his life and never blamed anybody loved his life and never and you know always gave credit to other people and about you then about your your homelessness with your parents and how they stayed responsible throughout all those trying times about yourself in the in the hospital and looking around and seeing all these people that had it worse than you and that you had responsibility to get well and to do good and then again just now you've even named a pilot program respond ability i really mm-hmm. think that's good that seems to be a Thank theme you. throughout your life yes uh and it just hit me you know, what you do you want it. your legacy in arkansas to be well um, no one's never asked me that question but i think first and foremost if i was pleasing to, to god and in god's eyes and then after that of course uh you know if i was a good husband and a good dad to my son, to our son, and uh, just a, an agent for change and uh, a servant to the community. And, of course, we're going to talk about unity, graphics, and designs, where we keep you in mind, you know, to be a servant to the community. I think that's what, uh, you know, in that order, uh, I would like for my legacy, you know, to be, to say that, uh, you know, not about old books or being published or um being a speaker or anything uh you know but of course when i go to heaven you know was it with all was all that i did pleasing you know to god and of course uh, that starts at first you know you're the minister in your house first before your business and before anywhere so we have to make sure things are in order there and you know we have struggles here and there in the school or just out and about but you know uh, as long as it's pleasing you know to, to my father in heaven in the name of Jesus, I think that's the most important thing. I want that legacy, you know, if it's important with God. But here on earth with us, with our three-pound finite brains, I definitely want us to <laughs> Three-pound hey, finite brains. I want us to say, hey, you know, he was a servant to the community, and uh, he kept his word, and uh, he tried to, uh, you know, make a difference in the lives of young people, uh, and specifically uh, young people, but uh, anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. And, uh, you know, I try to stay in my lane. You know, sometimes I swerve a little bit, but I try to stay in my lane and get things done. If we can change one mind, I think that's the start for uh, a change. If you can change just one mind, whether it's in the classroom, in the church, in the business sector, uh, using a platform like this. This is a great platform uh, that you have, Miss Carrie. And Thank you. Just some of the things that you've been doing a whole lot longer than me. So I look up to you and what you've been doing all these years. And, you know, I thank you for being a community leader as well. 
Thank you. You have to come by the store. And, and uh, let's talk about your store. Yes, ma'am. So Unity Graphics. Mm-hmm. I guess the Uni stands for it's unisex. T T E E is spelled out for T-shirts, mm-hmm. and it's graphics and designs, yes, ma'am. and it's screen printing. Did you buy a screen printing shop? And it's only been around what six months? We've been uh, the brick and mortar's been around for for six months, and, and it's located at the address for those listening. We're at ten one hundred one Mabelville Plaza Drive. Uh, we are adjacent to Walmart in Southwest Little Rock, 72209, between Cato Fashion and the GNC store. Uh, you can't miss us. We're open right now and, of course, open tomorrow between 11 and 5. Uh, but Unity is a name that uh, my wife came up with. Monica came up with Unity, like Unity. She wants to see, we want to oh. see Unity back in relationships and families. Every time we watch the news, it's always somebody. They like glorifying bad stuff. Division, yeah. Yeah, and so it's, it's if it obvious. Ble- if it bleeds, it leads, they yeah, say. Yeah, so she's like, you know what? And she talked about this for a while, and she just had this idea. So I can't take any credit for it. My job is just to support her. And, of course, we're business partners. But Unity uh, is the name. See, I thought it was for unisex T-shirts, oh, but we it's have, for yep, Unity. Yep, Unity. For, I didn't even catch that right. play on Right, it's Unity. Like, yeah, like Unity. Unity in, in, in a relationship. Yeah. Unity mm-hmm. here at the station. Mm-hmm. KBF, Unity. And uh, up in your business, we have Unity here at this station, Unity uh, Arkansas Flag and Banner. So Unity, of course, T-shirts, graphics yeah. and designs. She's a graphics designer. She's got master's degrees, two of them. I thought she was a teacher. Yep, she is a full-time a, teacher. Oh, mm-hmm. my god! But she's got this as, as they call, you know, a plan B, side, side, job, side, side hustle. Job. Right. <laughs> you know, people, we were talking about this right before we went on. People always want to know what the secret is to success. Working hard. Every successful person I know never quits working. Working hard and working smart. And so, uh, she so she's, y'all, you two mm-hmm. are teachers, but on top right. of that, you have decided to start a small business. Did you buy right. it? Yep. Yeah. This is, we, we own it. Uh, all Did the you, rights to it. Was it was already existing? Uh, no, what, we, this is grass, not grassroots, but. Uh, um, Startup, it was yeah, a startup. startup. This is all startup. Okay. Small startup. Yes, yes, ma'am. So, did you buy the equipment new and everything? Because t-shirt equipment is not cheap. Right, right. And we're still in the process. I'll leave it at that. But um, uh, we have uh, just one employee, and uh, he's been doing a fantastic job. What made you decide to pick on that? To pick t- to pick t-shirts because of of the vision that she had about. You'd be surprised what a t-shirt does to a couple. Uh, when people see her us out, because before we had the store, we would go out. We would have, we still have date nights. Me and my, maybe once a month we'll go somewhere, go get something to eat, go to the movies, and we'll put our shirts on. Matching shirts. Yes, and some of them are not matching, but they just have different, unique, intricate designs. And so we went out to the Fourth of July party, 2016, and we brought the Tahoe down, popped the trunk because everybody wanted those shirts. And so you know, everywhere we go, we had a couple of Pastor and Benton. We went to the rave. We always go on Tuesday nights because it's the $5 movie night, you know. We try to get out <laughs> and have fun. And so couples are out there, too, because it's no secret. But, hey, these are some nice shirts, man. Where would you get that from? You want to come see? In our trunk. And so, of course, we would always, uh, you know, advocate for people to come in our trunk and see the tees. What did the T-shirt out. say? Uh, well, one that she designed is called His Bay, Her Bay. I didn't know until about a year ago what bay means before all else, before everyone else. What does it mean? Before B, all A, E, everyone. Before all else, and before everyone else. Oh. So, but the but the uh, graphics have fingers pointing at each other. Oh. And so when you see it on our, our Facebook page, it's very very uh, crafty how it's designed. Then one shirt, uh, it says, um, "Pray, hustle, repeat." That shirt's pretty much. Thank you. That shirt's pretty much uh, everywhere. 
Then another shirt we designed, it says, uh, the snuggle is real. You know, not the not struggle, but the snuggle. Yep. That's for couples. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag couple goals. You know, a lot of couples like that, married or dating or what have you. So but this was a really grassroots. You came up mm-hmm. with these screen printed shirts. Where were you? You were getting them screen printed somewhere else mm-hmm. with all y'all's cute little words. Because right. you you do right. love play on words. There's mm-hmm. no. Pre- and I guess your wife does too. So y'all have these mm-hmm. all these play on words, and you start you you would yes. buy printed t shirts, and people mm-hmm. just kept wanting them from you because yep. you would model them. So this really is a grassroots. It's it's, it's a grassroots, and uh, we're gaining some some momentum. We definitely want to uh, put a shout out to everybody who's been supportive of of Unity Graphics and Designs. Uh, and you're open Monday through Friday. We're open Monday through Friday. We're only closed on Sunday to to rest and and to just uh, you know exactly. Uh, so, and um, you're open Monday through Friday, and then Saturdays from Saturdays from eleven to five. But they I'll can be work- call you. They can call in, or they can uh, go to the website, and we're going to update our website uh, for folks to purchase shirts online. And there's one shirt in particular that uh, you know I sent out to a number of people. I've been called the N word, you know, from this shirt, and it's talking about the First Amendment right. I teach American government at the college level, uh-huh. so I know a little bit. I'm an honorary vice commander with the 14th, the 314th Air Force Wing at the Little Rock Air Force Base. My brother's a retired cop of 29 years, uh, so I know a little bit about the Constitution. So we designed a shirt that says, "You have a, a sometimes you have to take a knee to stand. And so oh, this good. is nothing new. They've been doing this in the 50s and 60s. What Kaepernick is doing is nothing new. Oh. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people have been cussing me out because of this shirt. I've been kicked off. Oh, that's what you've been six times because of a T-shirt. Wow, T-shirt says a whole lot. It's the fear thing you were talking about at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the show. Fear is. I mean, the whole Holocaust in Germany was fear-based. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just, just. It's amazing what people will do when they become fearful. Right. So we, it's limited edition, but that shirt we still. You started your business the way I recommend people to start their businesses that call and ask me and say I want to start a business, and Mm -hmm. they say I'm going to go out and buy a store, and I'm going to go and get some equipment, and then I'm going to go and get some sales after I get it all set up. And I say you're actually doing it that backwards. Right. You need to go get sales first and see Mm -hmm. out if there's a market for what you've got, and Mm -hmm. if there is a market for what you've got, you you because you because you're selling. Then you go buy your equipment. Then you get your location. And you did that exactly right. correctly. And I can't tell you how many people don't do that. It's the end of the show. Okay. Anybody can reach you. What's your, what's your uh, uh, phone numbers and emails? Uh, our, my phone number is area code 318-243-9133. Again, area code 318-243-9133. And they can also call area code 501-952-4881. Again, 501 501- Nine five two four eight eight one. They can find us on Facebook and Instagram under and Unity. Unity, and that's U N I dash T E E Unity Graphics and Designs, uh, where we keep couples in mind, but we also keep single folks in mind as well. <laughs> they uh, got to be a couple one day. Yes, exactly. And so uh, uh, we're open. Of course, come stop on through. Uh, Saturdays are the busy days for for a lot of people to come through and check us out. And uh, there's a discount on. I was going to say there's a discount on sale, but no, there's a discount. And yeah. of course, if you have this flyer that you see in social media, just print it off or bring it on your cell phone, bring it to the store, yeah. and uh, come in you and get you a tear, get you a hoodie. I think that flyer is on your Facebook page. Yes, it's so on my Facebook that, page. They can get that ten percent discount off your mm-hmm. Facebook page. And if y'all didn't have a pen or paper and you're driving down the car right now. You can just go to flagandbanner.com, and we will have all the links yes. to Unity and to Edmund Davis, if anybody wants to get in touch with him. All of his contact info will be there. Some of it's there right now. Mm-hmm. I want a speaker or have me come by do a presentation. 
on a lot of things yes you're very community minded i love that i got you a gift too that you're gonna love it's a desk set and i should have gotten you one for philly putting your flag (laughs) but it's a desk set with the u.s flag the arkansas flag and the christian flag because i know how devout you are yes ma'am thank you so much i never talk to you that you don't praise the lord in some way or another it's very refreshing beautiful uh who's our guest next week it is going to be arkansas historian another one bill worthen two historians back to back do you know bill I don't think I've met Bill. Mr. Worked. Bill worked. He's a volunteer Bill. at the Territorial Restoration Forever, and I think his last name Worthen means he's tied to the Worthen Bank from years and years ago when it was the only skyscraper in downtown Little Rock. I think wow. we'll find out. We'll find out next week. Wow, great, great. And if you've got a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio or your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org. And someone will be in touch. I was going to say, could I make one more? You sure can. Okay, uh, Lorenzo Lewis, he's an entrepreneur. He's over at the Confess Project. And, uh, you know, I think um, ML Magazine, Jazz Sherelle, she's an entrepreneur here. She talks about small businesses, and uh, they have a good following. But I want to introduce you to, because y'all can click real good. I look uh, forward to yes, that. Yes, yes. Sounds great. Don't forget, mm-hmm. I'll remind you. Yes, ma'am. I will. I'll send you an email. Thank you. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program's been about you, you're right. It's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to hear this program again, next week go to flagandbanner.com. Click on the tab labeled Radio Show, and there you'll find podcasts with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. Carrie's goal, to help you live your American dreams.